Hi, everyone. This is Rita Matuzik, and you are listening to the Real Talk, Real Results podcast, the show that does not sugarcoat B2B marketers' everyday challenges and discusses actionable, realistic solutions. Today, we're discussing field marketing demand generation in a post-COVID world. Joining me is Elise Okamura, Director of Field Marketing at Cohesity. Elise, can you tell our audience a little bit about your background and expertise? Yes, thank you. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Good to see you. Uh, so Lisa Kamara here. I, yes, I lead a field marketing team here at Cohesity today. We're a B2B organization. I've uh, been with the company for a little over six years and uh, based here in San Jose, California. Um, my background includes field marketing, but also partner marketing um, from other B2B organizations um, in our space and also working at a channel, what we call channel reseller partners as well. Wow, six years, that is a long time to be at one company. And I love to see when people have been somewhere for a longer time, because I think it shows that you have a great grasp of the product, the industry, um, as well as the marketing organization, and just the different dependencies and strategies over time. And I just, I don't know, I'm also someone who likes to stay somewhere long. So I love to see that especially with, you know, COVID and what has happened, you know, over the last three years, I think that has definitely been an interesting time in our, in our space and in our industry. Yes, absolutely. So speaking of COVID, and now that we're in a mostly post-COVID world, what does field marketing success look like now? Yeah, so I think um, it's definitely changed. I think before COVID, we were in in person a lot at events that obviously shifted for a lot of folks that do trade shows and, you know, in-person activities um, that came to a screeching halt. We all got very comfortable hosting Zoom meetings, you know, being hosts. I have also been in your shoes too, hosting uh, my own virtual events and, you know, recordings and uh, trying to make sure breakout rooms work. But I think with, you know, post-COVID, we're now reevaluating, right, trying to figure out how we meet our customers. Um, you know, a lot of folks, you know, gotten, not used to, but right, the integration of their personal life and home. And I think now it's trying to reevaluate, you know, what type of activities work um, to fit your customer. So I think, you know, engaging, you know, clients from, you know, big traders, because people do like to travel. Um, I think travel budgets have also, you know, been affected as well. And so trying to find the right, you know, mix of activities, may it be demand gen, uh, or excuse me, not demand gen, but uh, digital advertising, you know, content syndication, just or maybe one on one engagements and doing a little bit more research. I think that's the other big piece is that buyers themselves have gotten, um, you know, more educated as well and do their own research the like integration between field marketing and digital because as someone who has a more digital demand background I fully understand as well as support that like my role for someone who's in your role in field marketing is to help provide that air coverage and support and engagement from top of funnel as somebody is moving into our systems, moving down the funnels and like getting ready to do something, whether it's an in-person event or a digital event that is going to have more interaction with others. Um, and there's really, I think, a lot more focus on that partnership in ways that not that it didn't exist, but maybe it wasn't as prevalent pre-COVID. Yeah. So with all of these changes, like how do you think the definition of success has evolved, especially when showing success to your leaders in, you know, the marketing organization or even, you know, at the top of the business executive leadership as a whole? 
Mm -hmm, definitely. I think before, right, I remember even, you know, interviewing at my company way back when we were talking about how many events have you executed? And now it's, you know, definitely switched to uh, not just our, maybe ROI, but also the type of engagement engagements that, um, you know, you're, you're executing on, but moving through the funnel. So different maybe types of buyers um, that you're touching. So maybe more C-level buyers, maybe more individuals within the team. I also think, um, you know, looking at more of the lead funnel. So, right, same like you, um, I work with my, you know, uh, internal growth marketing peers and together we're looking at, okay, how many AQLs or leads are we bringing in? How are we trying to convert them into meetings for our SDR teams? Um, and really kind of analyzing, hey, what activity maybe is moving, doing that movement. Um, so a lot more collaboration with, you know, like I said, folks, um, you know, people, your, your peers, um, you know, team, team members like you, and uh, also maybe what kind of ROI, right? I know everyone, you know, also has to look at their investments, um, you know, what they're getting out of, but I think now we're just scrutinizing it much more um, than we, I think, have in the past. And so, um, not just, you know, looking maybe at a trade show, a boost scans, and, you know, how many people that you're touching, but, you know, maybe how many meetings did you do at that trade show, um, things like that. Yes, we have to show some form of result much quicker and in a much more tangible way. And you said that you're looking at your investments and, and how that you know is impacting the program. So has your investment strategy or how has your investment strategy and program planning changed since COVID as well as the current economic conditions? I've also noticed actually with vendors, I'm not sure if you and your teams too have noticed a, a shift in vendors and their offerings. Um, I think before it used to always be in-person events, right? And they're adding more of these options for meetings. Um, I remember a vendor, oh gosh, maybe like 10 years ago where it was speed dating. And I just thought that was so interesting and funny. I was like, really? Nobody wants to do speed dating with, you know, a buyer. <laughs> but um, I've seen more and more of that offering or maybe, hey, here's like a full day, you know, executive, you know, summit, but then we're going to offer you one-on-one -on -one meetings with these executives and doing more one-on-one -on -one matching. Um, so that's been really interesting to see even vendors offering that. And that's, you know, something more of what we're, me and my peers are looking at um, to get in touch with these people. Cause like I said, it's been really tough, right? When you host an event, people are, would, would just prefer to be at home. And so we have to find these right, you know, either different vendor activities or, you know, third-party things where people have kind of created that community to where we yeah. can engage them directly. Yeah, you mentioned executives a couple of times. Have you found yourself running more like events and field marketing activities for executives than you have in the past? Oh, absolutely. Yes. I think we've noticed, um, and also using our own executives. So um, in our space, right, we're, uh, you know, in the infrastructure IT space. So using our own CISO or CTO um, for, you know, executive roundtables and kind of, like I said, using third parties, but how do you create maybe a bespoke package of maybe an executive roundtable um, to where you're not maybe selling, but you're creating a conversation and encouraging more of that um building that relationship and engagement um, different than, hey, let me try to sell you something. Um, and we've seen much more success with that. So flipping kind of the strategy instead of selling, but more into more thought leadership, engagement, community style. And um, yeah, recently I've noticed that as well. You know, people are like, hey, that was a great you know conversation. Let me connect with you on LinkedIn. So it was kind of cool to see that, you know, automatic meeting, if you will, happen. <laughs> yes, it's, it's, 
there's more of a focus on the relationship building aspect because of course when you're in that executive level position like you know that people are trying to sell to you at any moment and so creating an opportunity and environment where you know leaders can learn from each other can speak to each other can learn about industry trends new products technologies all that I think really does lend to like more benefits in the long run. Do you find that it speeds up like opportunity creation or even deal acceleration when bringing in a C-suite executive to a conversation or does it almost take longer to close depending on when they come in at, you know, a particular account engagement? I think we're figuring that out. <laughs> I'm on sales, so I'm not really sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a bit of a curveball question. I think it's um something everybody like we're all figuring it out, right? Yeah, like, definitely. Want to sell into the C suite mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. all trying to figure out the right way to do it. Um and every I think industry has, every company has their own way of approaching it. Yeah, definitely. I think it definitely helps, um, you know, right? Uh, organizations have grown, you bring in different executives and their past experiences, um, You or you maybe kind of build out a C-level technical team, you know, having yeah. field CTOs. I know a lot of organizations have that. So leveraging kind of that technical expertise, but that thought leadership. Um, we have, you know, I think a lot of, you know, companies have noticed that more prevalent in helping their deals. I think it depends also on like who your customer is, right? If they're, right. you know, a Fortune five, 500 company or 1000, like it's going to probably take a much longer time to engage them, find the right person. So kind of depends, but I definitely think it helps versus, you know, a, a cold um, outreach. A little bit earlier, you used the term AQL. For our mm-hmm. audience, I want to confirm okay. that means account qualified lead, correct? Yes, yes. Yes. I think a lot of organizations may call them MQLs. Yes, yes, yes. So there's a lot of definitions out there around lead qualification and AQL is a newer one, a semi-newer one as account-based marketing has become more and more prevalent across a lot of our enterprise teams and industries. Where do you think ABM fits into field marketing? Um, it's, I think, an integration, right, with sales. I think we're all learning what ABM is, right, at our different organizations, the size of your own organization. And it's also a lot of tech technology tools. I kind of did some research. Um, I think there's a there's a platform out there called Sixth Sense using technology, AI, and every different company, you know, uses some sort of technology. But um, kind of how do you bring in your own lead data, right? What we were just talking about with AQLs and what, you know, our, our prospects are doing. How are they moving down the funnel? How do you bring in maybe what they're Google searching, um, clicking on, you know, on third-party websites, um, and then you know, working with your sales team, obviously, too. So it's a lot of different, I think, components. And then with field marketing, right, I think uh, my myself and my team, one thing I love about this role is we're an extension of sales um, and that connection between, you know, marketing and sales. And so, you know, we're really sitting down with like our growth marketing team and saying, okay, look, here's, you know, different types of content. How do we bring that into, you know, the sales um, conversation or um, what types of content really meet those needs of, you know, those account managers. And so, um, yeah, versus, you know, getting, getting activities and programs, you know, out the door, it's much more thoughtful, I've noticed. Um, And again, what we were just talking about with relationship um, building, I think that's kind of that secret sauce, ABM. Yes, I definitely agree. I mean, one of the things 
from the digital side and even from the field marketing side, and then, you know, like tying in sales is we end up running programs that sales wants. Yes. <laughs> We're generating engagements that sales wants because it's accounts they've identified, um, typically sales leadership, marketing leadership works together to identify the accounts they care about the most. So we can really hone in from both sides of, you know, the marketing coin and run programs that hopefully get us into those accounts we want to sell business into. Yeah. I mean, I would love, sorry to interrupt, but I would love, you know, I don't know if this exists out there, but you know, a tool, right. We all have our, you know, Salesforce CRMs. We have our, you know, marketing automation systems, but a tool that can just tell you, Hey, here's what, everything that's going on in this account from how many leads and contacts you have, or, you know, all the different marketing activities, like, just in one place. <laughs> it's like a dream. I don't know if you yeah. found that yet. <laughs> I know of a couple. I'm actually going to give a shout out to a company that I've worked with, a company called Falcon AI, and they can give you that view. Um, all of the touch points inside an account, um, they can show you the marketing touches, the sales touches, everything from like when you start tracking that account, like to, you know, like the first engagements and opportunities opened or multiple opportunities are open. Mm-hmm all of the activity that happens um, there. And then when a deal is created, um, acceleration and all the way to closed one business. Um, So I I really love them. Um, This is not an ad for them whatsoever. Um, I wish we're all learning here, right? (laughs) Yeah, we're all learning. Um, Yeah, they are. They are a great tool. Um, I think a lot of companies also try to do some homegrown. Definitely. Yeah. And I think that's also a really great opportunity, right? Because so many companies are now starting to build out their own AI, you know, offerings with themselves. So it's, hey, using your own systems um, to build that. Yeah. And I've seen people use like organizations use Tableau or Visible. Um, I think that really becomes dependent on the skill set of your internal operations teams from marketing ops, revenue ops, sales ops, um, how capable they can be or even biz ops um, in building something like that. And also being honest about, you know, it's okay to say I don't have this skill set, right? Always learning new things, especially in B2B technology, enterprise marketing, Mm -hmm. like the things we were doing two years ago, though relevant are different from what we're doing now. We are constantly building. So um, yeah, just being able to recognize, like, does my team have the skills to do Mm -hmm. this? Do I need to look externally and find a tool? Um, And there are some tools out there. And I think we will see more and more tools come about um, as needs change in the marketing world, as well as as we see, you know, generative AI and other AI tools coming about. I think that's the future of marketing, um, which we will touch upon in a different podcast. Um, But yes, so moving on, um, we were getting, we were starting to talk about um, some of the programmatic aspects to field marketing. And I wanted to understand from you, how would you structure field marketing programs for prospect accounts versus existing customers? I think uh, it's kind of funny, right? Different organizations, you're, you know, measured on different things. Everyone wants, you know, net new accounts. Um, So those prospects, right? In that acquisition, um, it's a such a fine balance. And I think uh, trying to figure out the best ones that work because you do lean on your sales team too, because they do have, you know, real relationships in field, um, you know, from their past lives, current, and, you know, building these kind of programs, it's yes, you know, the the third party, uh, you know, maybe industry style or, you know, vertical that fits your needs. Um, like I said, trade shows, um, other 
other things maybe that they're own, your own hosted or how do you marry, you know, programs maybe that you run like webinars and things like that with, you know, something within your own region. Um, so yeah, kind of a mix of that for, you know, those prospects and trying to engage them, um, you know, getting them into your funnel, moving them along the buy-in stage. Um, and then on the flip side with, you know, your current customers, I think, we're noticing more and more like using customers as your as your advocate. So that's another um, really big piece of marrying the two together. Um, so you know, our you know, I've seen teams where they, you know, bring their prospect accounts and you know current customers. So maybe that you know thirty seventy mix, and that really helps thirty meaning you know the current customers. But um, yeah, like using your customers as advocates, you know, they can sell for you. Uh, so we've seen really, you know, good success with that. And then using customers for maybe advisory council, user groups, things like that, or bringing them in on trade shows where, you know, you can use them as, you know, um, advocates on, you know, speaking engagements. So I think a variety of the blend. Yeah. Saying any, anything works. I know every organization's different. So. Yes. No, I think, I think we all agree that any kind of customer advocacy, especially in a public mm-hmm. sense, whether it's like a case study or quotes for your website or they join a webinar or, you know, even better videos. Attended, yeah, videos, they attend a trade show and they do, you know, a speaking session with, you know, you on stage. I think having that validation from a customer who's used your technology, who loves your technology, it's so integrated into their success. There's yeah. nothing better, right? Because we all want to hear from people who have used products how they think about it. Like we yeah, definitely I mean, look at us, we, how we buy on Amazon, how we you yeah. know go to restaurants, we're using Yelp. So yeah. yeah. So we live in a world where we want to hear from real people that they've used something and they liked it. Yeah. Um, and that's so strong right now. I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about the different aspects of field marketing that also include partnering. Yeah. Um, so how do you know you work with channel alliances and partner marketing and fit those teams into your strategic planning as well as execution? Yeah, I think also depends on the organization um, and maybe the types of partners you have. And so maybe, you know, we can kind of talk about that right now. Yeah. Um, you know, our tech space, we have our what we call maybe OEM or, you know, alliance type partners, um, you know, ones that have integrations or, you know, joint solutions. Um, and then there's on the flip side partners that are are you know, more route to market, so meaning more channel um, type partners where they're an extension of your sales team. And so I think every company, you know, not just in our tech space, yeah. they might be called something a little bit different, but, um, you know, I think they have different outcomes, right? Um, but also you can kind of marry the two together. Uh, and, you know, back in, you know, when I was working at a channel partner, right, you get exposed to so many of their different vendors and seeing how all these integrations work and all these, you know, synergies. And it is you know, beautiful to see because you not only get in touch with new prospects and accounts, but, you know, seeing how your product is, you know, complementary to each other. Um, and then, you know, from the channel sense, um, you know, they're an extension of your sales team. Maybe you have a, an organization where it's really, you know, your sales team is really small. So, you know, leveraging that team, the, you know, broaden, broaden that scope and, you know, get in touch with more customers. So I think having some sort of tra- channel strategy or excuse me, partner strategy is super important. Um, it just depends on, you know, what your, your, what your ultimate goals are. Following on to that, how would you run campaigns and programs differently with each type of group, right? We've got alliances, we've got channel, we've got partner. What do those different campaigns and programs look like with each of those? 
Yeah, I think there. Um, I also do. I feel like I need to touch on. There's an, a, a sense of enablement too, right? Because right. If, you know, if someone's an, ex, it's an extension of your sales team, you want to make sure you know they know your product or they know whatever joint solution you have. So I think first, kind of starting with that enablement um, and intriguing them, right? Um, part of you know your own company or your own sales team. So making sure like that message and education is consistent, and then with you know kind of pulling that through, um, you know, using campaigns to to make that extension a little bit broader and larger. And maybe, you know, some companies, right, who they're partnering with, um, they're just bigger, bigger brands, you know. And yeah. so, you know, how do you leverage that? You know, how do you leverage their um, network and, you know, make it, making it a little bit bigger? Um, I, I know it probably can be challenging because, right, if you're working with a big company like AWS and Google's like they're huge. And so trying to figure out right the right programs that um will fit, you know, your your engagement. Um, I think you can start right from a you know lens of you know maybe joint demand generation of content syndication or different ads, um, or maybe on a more smaller scale, really using your sales team and you can do more um localized type of joint activities. I think it's, you really touched on it. It's tapping into an audience that's potentially bigger than yours, right? Like if you can get a really great program going with AWS and Microsoft and any other like big technology partner like that, you get their branding and that's just so invaluable. Um, Or even like smaller partners, um, they just might have a better audience. Like they've maybe spent a little bit more time developing their database. Um, they might have a little bit more brand recognition or they're maybe able to just support certain programs or campaigns that like your internal team can't or doesn't have the resources to execute on. Now, a follow-on question there is when could it not make sense to run programs with your partners? If you're targeting, you know, the same accounts, are you maybe you kind of start to question, are you cannibalizing on your own display ads, for example, right? Um, you know, if you're running them congruently, you're like, oh, man, now I'm kind of you know, competing with myself. Um, so maybe just taking a pause and just realizing, okay, when are we turning on our own programs, turning them off, things like that. Um, so I think that could maybe be a, a time to think through that a little bit or just maybe... Um, knowing the timing of those other partner organizations from maybe a calendar perspective. You know, I know a lot of organizations are in different calendar years. And so yeah. maybe that might be a piece of it too. And I think, you know, just maybe being aware of if you're at a, you know, big trade show, you know, how are you showing up with competition or other partners and what does that look like? Right. Because, you know, you want to maybe show that you're friendly to everyone. Um, yeah, no, that that's really great insight. Something that pops to my mind is the question of how do we attribute like what the partner organization is doing and what we're doing internally? Um, how do we delineate those roles and responsibilities, the attack plan, and then give credit to who generated the revenue or even closed the revenue, especially that latter question obviously lives more with sales, but it really does become a big focus as we're, you know, looking at end of quarter, end of year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think what's really important is knowing that it's a whole team effort. I know it can be really tough. Um, I'm going to be honest, like I haven't seen an organization that's been perfect at this is the attribution or, you know, a multi-touch attribution model that works and is perfect. It's always evolving um, because you can look at it from a point system, a percentage, right? Um, But some sort of way that you know it's a team effort and 
knowing that attribution is, you know, from maybe brought in maybe by a digital lead or by a trade show and it was touch and, you know, influenced and helped move down the funnel with your, you know, your channel partner or, you know, your marketing team um, or even sales team too. But um, being clear with, if you're running a program, maybe with a partner sales team, you know, who, who's driving attendance, who's yeah. bringing to the table, account mapping, and then, you know, that execution, I think hopefully that's been identified. And then right with the follow-up to who's kind of owning that as well. And that's always hard. I think it always ebbs and flows depending on, um, you know, the company, but I think that's kind of the learning and how you build those relationships with, you know, your partners. Yes, I agree. We are all figuring it out. It's an ever-evolving model. Um, attribution is defined so differently at different organizations. And I think what's key is just knowing how leadership is defining it and where they're kind of guiding like how it will play out when we look back at that revenue creation, revenue generation. And close yeah, absolutely. For my final question today, um, I think everybody's dying to know like what does 2024 look like in the field marketing world? Like, I would love to. I wish I had a crystal ball. <laughs> Same. Yeah. Um, I think kind of just bringing it back home to what we were initially talking about with, you know, one-on-one -on -one engagement and using different tools, um, especially with AI being so prevalent, is how do you really get in touch with your um, prospects and customers and encouraging that engagement. So like I said, if you're using a third party, just how do you, you leverage them? What does that follow-up look like? But I think um, it's not maybe so much, you know, in-person events or, you know, lunch and learn type things, but how do you really engage that person and building that relationship and kind of turning that script on, on the customer? So um, yeah. we shall see. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I know we're all, we're all trying to figure it out. I love it. Um, well, thank you so much for your time today, Elise. It was wonderful to have you here. And until next time. Thank you so much for having me.